You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.com. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order, where we do our best to play our part in a healthy ecosystem of art and criticism and fandom, putting things into dialogue with one another and hopefully enriching the experiences of these animated films. We are interested in how these movies move us and shape our imaginations. Today, we're discussing the 18th film in the canon, 1967's The Jungle Book. It's famously the last film that Walt Disney personally worked on as he died about a year before its release while it was still in production. Joining me today, as always, is Michael Farmer. He earned his commission in the Maharaj's 5th Pachyderm Brigade. His colleagues are always saying to him, uh, tell me, tell me, after you knock your pupils senseless, how do you expect them to remember the lesson? Hi, Michael. <laughs> How's it going, Josh? I, anything that compares me to Phil Harris is good with me. <laughs> yeah. Phil Harris really makes this movie. And actually, um, speaking of it being Disney's last movie, that was that was his idea uh, to have Phil Harris come in. And, and um, really, they didn't have a through line on the movie until um, Walt Disney had the idea for Baloo and and making him kind of a co-star in the movie and and kind of you know creating this through line with 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 him and so um yeah big a big influence on this film and another one of those like, we haven't had one in a while but another one um kind of fitting you know at the end that he gets another one of the he you know he hits home run on it to to kind of save the movie so yeah and uh he had decided to be more active in this movie than he had been in the last few isn't that right I think so. I think he was really upset with, uh, particularly, um, Sword in the Stone. Join the understanding. club. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Although he wasn't entirely thrilled about this one. One of the last meetings that he had on this film, uh, he he said he was watching, you know, some of the early early things on Jungle Book, and uh, he said. Um, he, he was getting into an argument <laughs> about uh, whether a tiger could climb a tree or not, um, which we don't actually see in the movie, so I don't know what that scene was. But um, anyway, he left the meeting, according to one account, remarking ruefully, I don't know, fellows, I guess I'm getting too old for animation. And I think that was, <laughs> that was one of his last, uh, or maybe his last meeting on, on the film before uh, he unfortunately passed away. So... Um, yeah, he did. He did play more of a role in this one, but I, I don't know how thrilled he was about it. So, I mean, this is this is almost universally beloved. It's almost certainly the most popular of the what are we calling the Xerox age? 
Yeah, the yeah the I I don't think it's yeah the Silver Age or something like that. Um, but yeah, he, this is definitely a you know our, our third movie so far within this in this Xerox time. I think Xerox Age is probably a better name for it, honestly. Because I think the uh, Silver Age would also when it's divided into the Silver Age, it's generally Cinderella through the Jungle Book, and it's not one. Of, it's not the most popular of that whole period, but it's got to be the most popular from uh, 101 Dalmatians through Oliver and Company. Yeah, this is definitely one of the last, uh, you know, big, um, big hits that they have for a while. Um, there's there's some others that I really like, but um, so according to the Disney animated film errors that I posted on our blog a few few, I don't know, maybe a month ago I posted this. Um, the Silver Age runs, yeah, from Cinderella to Jungle Book, and then we get into the Bronze Age, starting with Aristocats next next month here. So. You're yeah, right. and it's a it's a long series of mediocre movies uh, from here on out. So we should definitely enjoy the Jungle Book while we're while we're in it. Yeah, and it is. It's a really nice one. I, it kind of it it has a similar feel to me um, as like Dumbo, where the there's a lot of constraints, and you kind of think, well, how is this movie even going to come together? But then there's this I don't know. There's some sort of um, there's more of an emotional undercurrent to it than some of what we've seen before. You know. Um, Definitely from Sword in the Stone, right? Uh, there's there's more of an emotional undercurrent, and there's you know the characters are bigger, the songs are better. It just it really, yeah, it it comes together somehow in spite of itself. Well, maybe one thing that's interesting is that the core of the movie is not a million miles away from Sword in the Stone. You have this kind of non-entity at the center of it, uh, Wart in Sword in the Stone, Mowgli in uh, the Jungle Book. And the most interesting things are the people around them. And, and maybe the success of the Jungle Book is that the secondary characters are all much more interesting than secondary characters in Sword in the Stone. Yeah, I think that's true. I was actually thinking about uh, that as, you know, it is it is similar to Sword in the Stone in that it's, it's a bit episodic. Um, you know, Mowgli and Wart both go through these kind of series of adventures that, that help them grow up. Um, but the... But this one, uh, you're right. He's the situations that he finds himself in are more interesting because the characters are more interesting, right? And uh, so, and yeah. and I, I think one thing that Walt Disney himself pushed for here was that the movie be centered on the characters. Uh, in the past, I, I believe he was all about plot, and here, what I read is in the in the meetings. He kept telling them not to worry about the plot and to really build up the characters. And once you know that that's what happened, it makes total sense because this is a character-driven movie for sure. The, the plot essentially amounts to Mowgli falls in with one character after another. Yeah, they're all trying to um, either either help him or take advantage of him, right? Basically, <laughs> is the different things he runs into. Um, as but yeah, and there's there's this kind of looming. You know, something's going to happen. Either Shere Khan's going to show up or, um, you know, he's going to make it to the man village. But you're right. There's not much of a plot beyond that. But it doesn't need one because the characters are so strong. Yeah. And the and I think that's the that's the through line that um, that uh, Reitherman, who's the director, is going to try and carry through into the next uh, series of movies. I think we're going to continue to see not much of a plot, um, but you know characters um but i i don't think they 
they're able to to regain this this level of <laughs> of that. Well, except um, for except for, for Robin Hood, which mostly does so by using the same characters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hey, what worked in Jungle Book? Yeah, let's let's do it all again. You're right. Let's so. just bring Phil Harris back. Yeah. Uh, which again, I'm never going to complain about Phil Harris being used in anything because he is a national treasure. Are, are you familiar with his non-Disney work at all? I don't think so. Um, yeah, fill me in. So um, he was Jack Benny's band leader uh, on the Jack Benny show, and he, you know, like everybody else on that show, he's in the sketches and. Uh, most of the premise of the Jack Benny show is that you hear the rehearsals for the show, and so everybody's playing some version of themselves. And Phil Harris is this drunken, barely literate womanizer who uh, who leads this band of criminals. Uh, he's so successful in that show that he gets asked to do a show with his wife called the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, which is a domestic sitcom where he plays the the same character, obviously. And he, he plays him as a kind of idiot husband and dad with a criminal associate named Rimley. Uh, and and he, it's very funny on there. But uh, Phil Harris is basically playing that role in The Jungle Book. So if you're familiar with Blue, you're familiar with his persona on the radio. Uh, they, they basically just import it minus the womanizing stuff. But, I mean, he's even kind of a drunkard, right? Except instead of instead of drinking booze, he's eating prickly pears or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I would say more. I mean, he's a seeker of pleasure, right? Like he's 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 into life's pleasures, you know, what what he, what he can get, um, and just enjoying life, and you know, whether it's the <laughs> the scratching or the music or yeah, the prickly pears. Like he just you know he enjoys a good time. And even the music, his song "The Bare Necessities," which I think is pretty self-evidently the best song in the movie, um, sounds very much like one of the songs he would have performed on the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. It's weird to listen to that show, um, which is funny, but not as funny as Jack Benny. Uh, but it's weird to listen to that show because it's hard not to picture Baloo if you're more familiar with the Jungle Book than you are with 1940s radio. Which, who isn't? Uh, but they're good, and they're worth listening to. And if you love Phil Harris and the Jungle Book, you'll probably love him there, too. The writing's not quite as snappy, but um, it's uh, it's good. And, and you know, he he's magnificent in it, and he's magnificent in everything he does. So Yeah. You've, you've mentioned this uh, a few times in the past that you you listen to 1940s radio. I'm just curious how you do it, like on the practical side. Like, yeah, there's a there's a series of podcast feeds. So if you if you search your podcast catcher for Jack Benny, uh, there's a there's a guy who calls himself Buck Benny who releases most of these shows. I, yeah. I, this year I haven't been listening to them because I I've done the cycle. He he plays them every five years. Do you know what I mean? So he'll he'll yes, play yeah. he'll play the episodes from 1940, 1945, 1950 in 2015. Well, I started five years ago, so the the shows are starting to repeat, and I have a lot of other podcasts to listen to, so I'm kind of taking a break from it. But they're they're great stuff, and if you haven't heard them, you you really should if you like if you like uh, comedy because uh, they're they're very very funny, especially the Jack yeah. Benny show. I'll have to I'll have to give it a shot. I've, I've like I said I've, I've been curious when you mentioned it in the past, but then I'm, I've never asked you how you actually go about doing that. So and all the episodes I think are on archive.org, which is I'm sure where Buck Benny gets them from. So if you don't want to do that and you just want to listen to them at your leisure, uh, archive.org has them. 
Plus, there's there's DV, there's DVD sets of them and all sorts of stuff. But Phil Harris is amazing, and he's amazing in this movie, uh, playing probably the indelible character from the Jungle Book, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you got to pick one. Yeah, oh, yeah. Baloo, Baloo's the best. I, I mean, Shere Khan is um, is something else too, you know. But um, yeah, as far as like the most lovable um, character that you want to. That you do want to hang out with, right? Like, who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to hang out with Baloo? Yeah, well, there, there really aren't bad characters in this movie. I mean, there are bad guys in the movie, but there aren't there aren't poorly drawn characters in the movie, except maybe the vultures. I find the vultures shtick to be a little tiresome. <laughs> but Bagheera is wonderful. King Louie is wonderful. Ka is pretty good. Shere Khan, um, very very scary. I, I think, in in as far as these movies go, it's not like he kept me up at night, but. In the context of the movie, I think he's very scary. He he kind of earns the reputation they set up for him in the first two thirds of the movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he's he's just got this incredible um, presence um, when he's on the screen, and and he's so uh, what like majestic, I guess, and dignified as a bad guy. Like I really like it. I like how it how it plays. It, it plays really well. Yeah, um, he's got he's got that upper class accent. I think goes a long way with that yeah it's something about the big cats i guess because uh, you know bagheera's got it a little bit too you know like bagheera's ultra dignified too but um shere khan takes it to a to an entirely different level you'd think bagheera could take shere khan but maybe he can i think panthers must be a little smaller than tigers tigers are yeah. apex predators that's right my favorite yeah. little detail in the animation on shere khan he's about to attack bambi's mother essentially <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at her through the uh, through the tall grass, and as he's sitting there, his shoulders start to go up and down, and that is exactly what cats do before they attack. Yeah, the, he's so well animated all the way through. Like, I mean, his whole all of his motions, uh, and it's um, it's something about this movie I think that's really great across the board. Um, you see it a lot with Shere Khan, but like with any of the animals, like you're really um, it's it's so subtle like it's it's all in the face facial expressions because they they just don't have much to work with as far as acting things right like you can't really have a prop um they they don't really have hands to gesture with and so they have to be incredibly creative with these things um you see it with uh caw you know like he, he doesn't have anything at all except for a face you know and a body but they use the body to you know you know he covers his mouth when he like oh search me and then he like realizes that he should not have said that or um you know cross my heart hope to die like like they use his body to be the to make the gestures but it's it's just really wonderful and the and the uh, vocal performance helps there too because because that's such a strange vocal performance it's our old friend sterling holloway in full uh cheshire cat mode yes and just wonderful. I just, I, yeah, I, <laughs> this might be my favorite Sterling Holloway is, uh, is Ka. Um, and we've seen him in a lot and we'll see him again in Winnie the Pooh, which actually he was doing Winnie the Pooh at the same time, which is, is just crazy to think about. But. And, uh, and he's also Sir Hiss in Robin Hood, which is uh, essentially just Ka as a comedic character. Yeah. Yeah. The oh my uh, Sikroliak <laughs> line apparently came right from right from him. Like he he came up with that one himself. <laughs> so, I, I still don't really know what that is. I had to look it up. It's like your vertebrae or something, you know, or some part of your vertebrae. But yeah, so it's a wonderful word. <laughs> Before we move on with the 
characters, we should probably talk about the differences between the movie and the the actual Jungle Book book by Rudyard Kipling. Have you read that book? So um, I have, I have, um, but it's it's been too long for me to really make much uh, to say much about it, other than I know that it's very different. Yeah, I, I haven't read it, but I read about the differences, and they are extreme. So Ka is a, a really dignified, terrifying presence in the book, and he's on Mowgli's side. Baloo is very stern and serious in the book. Bagheera is actually more of a goofball, although certainly not to the level that Baloo is here. Shere Khan is a pathetic figure rather than a terrifying one. He 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 is a man-eater, but as in real life, the only reason he eats people is because they're easy targets, and he has a, a physical disability uh, and can't attack anybody else and they actually kill him i believe i believe they kill him with a herd of buffalo or something very mufasa-esque uh so it's a a very different book and and uh kipling's daughter really hated the jungle book and and one of the things she hated the most is that in uh, that kipling was very clear that the name should be pronounced mowgli not mowgli but i bet nobody in the world pronounces it mowgli now (laughs) Yeah, probably not. So, so they used yeah. the basic plot and and the the character names and created something entirely new. So, uh, apparently, if you like this movie, that is no guarantee you'll like the book, which is much more serious and Rudyard Kipling stiff upper lip esque. Yeah, I remember when I read it, and I was it it was shocking how different it was. Like I knew it would be different, but it was. That that's the one takeaway that I remember from reading it is that it was it was shockingly different. Um, but apparently, did, uh, well, so I don't know if this is apocryphal or if this actually happened. But uh, apparently, Walt Disney actually got his story men all in the room and asked them if if they'd read the book or threw the book on the table or something, you know, and said, "Who's read this book?" And nobody had. And he said, "Good, <laughs> you know, don't read it. That's the first thing I want you to do in making this movie is don't read the book." And uh, and then he had this idea in, in his head and and. And had them run from there. So yeah, that's uh, that. That sounds right to me. <laughs> it's something <laughs> something he would do, and it, it seems to fit the differences between the two things. I I certainly like from what I've read of the about the Jungle Book. It, it doesn't seem like it'd be a very good children's cartoon. Yeah, and and the, but there's been so many uh, adaptations of this. I mean, there's there's other movies and and stuff you could go watch. So I'm sure I'm sure some of them must be probably closer. Actually, Bill Pete, who did uh, the story for um, Sword in the Stone and for 101 Dalmatians, as well as a bunch of the shorts, um, did an initial um, take on this before leaving the studio. He got he was kind of fed up. Like I think he and he and uh, Walt weren't seeing eye to eye on a bunch of things, but uh, did a much darker true to the true to the um original type story and uh when when walt evaluated it he said this reminds me of batman (laughs) 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 amazing like that is an amazing story i i that one i almost think there's no possible way that is true like i can't imagine walt disney reading a batman comic but wouldn't you love um, it to see a version where batman came and rescued mowgli (laughs) Yeah, but I guess no, all I can uh, think of is uh, is that Humphrey the Bear short we watched, where uh, Smokey the Bear shows up as a as a paper cutout. <laughs> Batman yeah. just shows up. Yeah, it would have to be like that. Yeah. Uh, 
the only thing that survives from that initial version is the song The Bare Necessities, which is the one thing in this movie not written by the Sherman Brothers. And as I said, is the best song in the movie. I, I think, undeniably. I, I, I just don't think you could possibly make a case that any of the other ones are better than The Bare Necessities. Yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with you on this one. I mean, really? I, I like the other songs, but... I mean, no, I say oh, I will. I will should, agree. No, I say I thought you said you'll disagree. I, I well, I would like to disagree. I wish I could. I should channel some some highly disagreeable person here and and fight you because it's, it's too bad Coil's not on this week, huh? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Coil's favorite song is probably the Elephant Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Elephant Brigade song. I mean, all the songs are pretty good, except I don't really like Trust in Me. Yeah. So trust in me, actually, the the melody for it um, is from an unused Mary Poppins song. Makes sense. Okay. It sounds it yeah. sounds like it it could be next to Feed the Birds. Yeah. So. So yeah, we should uh, we should dive more deeply into the in, into the music, but um, yeah, there's I, I feel like there's just so many ways that w- that we could go in this movie. I wanted to uh, be like kind of at the beginning though ask you about. Um, you know, just the the place of this of this movie in the in the context, because I, I asked you about this back in uh, Peter Pan, because um, I was like, oh, I think we're nearing your expertise, and and you deterred me until or deferred me, <laughs> what's the word? I don't know. Until deferred. the book, so yeah, yeah deferred. Um, so yeah, Beyond the Hair, which is obviously um, very sixties. <laughs> what else? <laughs> what else are like? Do you have anything that you want to elucidate on there? Yeah, I mean, this is this is Walt Disney's first real encounter with the counterculture, at, at least in a movie. So you you get, I mean, there's some sort of '50s hipster stuff and some of the car, the short cartoons, but this is this is where he really encounters the counterculture, and you see it most clearly in the Vultures, who are clearly supposed to be the Beatles, and I think maybe maybe you know this. I, I have heard that the Beatles were actually supposed to play the vultures and that John Lennon at the last minute decided he didn't want to do it. So they just had somebody do an impression of the Beatles. So what I heard on that one um, was that they'd put out kind of initial sort of like feelers, you know, Um, but it had never even got past like, man, like, you know, whoever the first people to, you know, feel things out for the Beatles that like it never got past them, but maybe it did get Maybe it got high enough that John Lennon himself didn't want to do it. I don't know. Although, to be fair, doesn't it sound like the sort of thing Lennon would enjoy? Yeah, kind of. I mean... Especially yeah, in 67, oh, he wasn't taking himself so seriously yet. Right, not yet, right? Like, they were doing help and... Um, I, I mean, they were doing movies. They, they, you know, they did... Uh, whatever. Hard Day's Night. Um, yeah. Which and, is far sillier than anything here. Yeah, so... I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Anyway... Tell, tell us more about the counterculture. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it's telling that the big encounter with the counterculture is the death scene, you know, the, the vultures. It, it's, it, it, obviously, somebody of Disney's age and station would, would not have been, and, and political conservatism would not have jumped headlong into the counterculture, you know. And with that in mind, I think Baloo is supposed to be a kind of representative of that, even mm-hmm. though Baloo's version of hipsterism is from the 40s and 50s rather than from the late 60s, because he's listening to jazz music for years i had this plan to write an essay that i called the blue negro um which isn't as bad as it sounds there's a a classic uh norman mailer book about hipsterism called the white negro 
So you get you get Baloo, who doesn't have the upper crust British accent of most of the other characters, right? So Bagheera talks like Sebastian Cabot, and uh, and Shere Khan has this very British accent. You get Baloo, who's this American. He's a, he's introduced to us. I, what's Bagheera's term? Is the this that lazy, shiftless jungle bum? He lays around. He loves jazz music. Uh, he he's uh, he's he gets so intoxicated by the beat of this music that is uh, really really coded as black music that he can't complete his job. And yet the the characters that would represent black characters and I, I, uh, the the monkeys, uh, which is racially unfortunate uh, if you if you think about it too long. But they they clearly have black voices, even though Louis Prima was white. Um, he they don't respect him either. Uh, so he's he's in this kind of weird no man's land where he would like to be like them, ironically enough. But they don't really like him that much until he unless he literally puts on a monkey outfit to dance with them. So I I never really worked out the theory beyond that. But I I think I think there's definitely a a, a racial countercultural commentary with the scene with Baloo and the the monkeys. Which my students never liked me to point out. I would, I, I used to do this this lesson on um, race in Disney movies, and when we came to, we, we looked at some other things that were much more blatant. And when we came to the Jungle Book, they were always very angry. They said that I had ruined the Jungle Book for them, which is not my intention. And I don't, I don't know that I would call the movie racist exactly. Um, I, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to make a case for portraying black people as monkeys, though. I have to say. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's interesting, right? Because it's the Indian jungle, but it does get tied up in the, in a lot of the. I mean, it's obviously like so, playing I mean, hot the, jazz music, right? I, I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's just really it it. I just I just mean it's not as simple as um, just calling it one thing or the other, you right, know? Like it's, right. it's, these are these are implications and echoes, and I mean, but listen to the first monkeys you meet, and those are. They they sound like the crows from from Dumbo. I mean they they are clearly coded as black, um, and it's black music. It's you know hot jazz. It's it, it it's stuff that respectable white people weren't supposed to be in, right? I mean Bagheera doesn't like that music. Bagheera is the voice of the older respectable white generation, and Baloo is this younger bear who is who is drawn into that that culture, the the kind of jazz demi mond uh much to you know and it ruins everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then he's also the uh like he's the hero of the film yep, he is you know yeah so and i wouldn't call i would certainly never refer to the jungle book as any kind of allegory or anything like that but i i think i think in the characterization that is there Right. And so I, yeah, obviously you've put a lot more thought into this than I have. So <laughs> um, I think that's really interesting. I just, I, the, it's always, it's the, the fascinating part to me is always that sort of like, um, yeah, if Disney, if Disney, people of Disney's age, like Disney demand, right? Like if, the, if people of that age are looking at, looking down upon this counterculture, but then at the same time, the counterculture is the, the heroic ones, you know, like, um, then that's, I don't know. It just, it, it creates a weird, a weird tension, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, like I said, not an allegory, but I, I think that's the tension between Bagheera and Baloo, at least. And, yeah, and, then, and, that, and again, the, the actual counterculture of the 60s would have been represented in the Vultures rather than in King Louie. Because by, by 1967, the cool kids are not listening to 1940s hot jazz. You know, Louis, Louis Prima was a huge star uh, in in the 40s and doing essentially the bit he does here. So he's, he's also playing his public persona uh, as kind of a wild man. And he was white. I mean, he's Italian-American with a name like Louis Primo. That's probably not his real name. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with the uh, <laughs> with the scene to know um, anything about it. Well, I and think it's interesting. It is... I mean, there are people, there are old-time radio enthusiasts who know Phil Harris from something other than The Jungle Book. I don't think anybody knows Louis Prima anymore from anything other than, uh, than The Jungle Book. And that is his real name, Louis Leo Prima. Right. And that's the, that's the interesting thing is, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this more when we hit like the nineties and we really get into like celebrity casting type type things. Um, but they're doing in some ways they're doing the same thing here. It just doesn't read, it doesn't read the same to us because we, you know, they're not our celebrities. Um, so I, I should also say one more thing about race and, and Italian, uh, Americans, because I, I understand that Louis Prima being Italian American now reads as a white man, but in the forties it didn't. Very famously, Sinatra and I'm gonna I'm gonna edit I'm gonna censor myself here, but Sinatra goes to some record label. It wasn't Capital because that's where he ended up, and the record executive said, "Sorry, we don't play N-word music here." And I mean, he's Italian American. He's not black at all. But those two groups would have been would would have been lumped together in the forties. So. Louis, Louis Prima, in his way, is racially other uh, in, in the same way that African Americans were. Maybe not in the same way, but similarly to the way African Americans were in the 40s. So I, I think it actually proves my point, rather than going against it, that Louis Prima is, is Italian American. Did you know that story about Sinatra? Uh, I, it sounds familiar. I don't, I wouldn't been able to, uh, to say it the way you just did, but as, as you were saying it, I was like, Oh, I think I may have heard this before. Um, it, it, yeah, this I, is, when I tell my students about that, it blows their minds that Italian Americans were once considered non-white. Right. It's just, it's really, it's, yeah, I, I don't have no, I have nothing to say on that except that it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> I'm with your students. It's, it, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense to our modern eyes, I guess, but because we um, well, because we think of whiteness as being primarily about skin color, and it's not. It's it's a whole cultural thing, which is why it's so funny and ironic that the the character that reads the whitest in this movie is Bagheera, who is literally the darkest character in the movie. Right? He's he's a Black Panther, which is hysterical because of the existence <laughs> of the Black Panther Party, but that didn't happen until '68, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that that is a great bit of bit of irony, irony right there. But he, is, he's yeah. super coated as white, wouldn't you say, Bagheera? He's he's the older generation. He's stodgy. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't really have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, oh no, he, he has no sense of humor. I mean, he famously has the line, it, "It's not funny," <laughs> you know. <laughs> But a magnificent <laughs> performance by Sebastian Cabot and a really lovable character nonetheless, right? So this is kind of a it's a it's a very open hearted movie in that even most of the semi bad guys you love. I mean, who doesn't love King Louie? Right. 
and and I think that's part of the uh, part of what's at play here as well is that it is just putting putting characters who would not normally interact with each other or who would who would have some animosity towards each other maybe, um, but putting them into situations where they obviously have you know some level of effect for each other like i mean they're not with king louis not as much um although i mean baloo has some affection for king louis but not the other way right like or at least for his music right um but they sure but like, they sure the, do dance together and scat they together. do that's right <laughs> yeah but most, then, most children's um, first exposure to scatting i imagine yeah and then uh bagheera and and baloo you know they have a you know they have they have a relationship you know a, a semi I think it's friendship by the end, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, they have their arms it. around each other. Yeah, so... Um, My favorite line between them is when Bagheera says, you wouldn't marry a panther, would you? And Baloo <laughs> thinks for a minute and says, well, you know, a panther's never asked me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's great. Um yeah, so just one more question on the whole like counterculture thing because this is this is interesting to me, and then then we can actually get into the meat of the movie, which I think is is also very interesting. But like, it's some of it too. It's not just the, um, you know, the big characters, and it's kind of easy to, um, I don't know, uh, stereotype seems like the wrong word in this context, or maybe maybe it's the right word in this context. Like, just you know, like you know, create a stodgy character, create a you know, freewheeling, loving, you know open boisterous type character um but is it also like do you see some weird cultural appropriation things happening there too um or no well i mean only in as much as phil harris and louis prima already had right i mean they were they were pop jazz musicians already when they came to this and they're just doing their thing so i don't think you could put that on the movie you right you would put that maybe yeah. Sorry, I think I didn't mean I mean well I did mean cultural appropriation, but I was also thinking of what is it? It's not cultural appropriation, but it's that idea of uh it's similar where, you know, the counterculture becomes the culture. And then you know, like it's it's the it's the the fringe like if the Beatles are a counterculture, but then they, they end up influencing like all pop music and it becomes the culture and then you have to have something else that's, you know, against against the pop music right but then that becomes but then that becomes the the new main thing you know like like the 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 things on the fringes and the margins are are constantly pushing in towards the center like is it by by the time this movie comes out is is that stuff just like is this just part of the pushing into the center process probably but again the music itself isn't really all that countercultural, right the beatles in 1967 put out sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band which is this you know incredibly druggy psychedelic record and there's nothing there's no music here like this 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 music is music that would have been not countercultural exactly but youth culture 20 years before the movie came out so, in a weird way, what it, what it actually does is introduce children born in 1960 to their parents' music. Yeah, through the <laughs> through characters that look like the the hipsters of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, and even beyond that, because the song, the the "We're Your Friends" song, the weakest song in the movie, uh, that's a barbershop song. Yeah, that's a weird. <laughs> Which is the music weird... that I think Disney actually liked. Probably, I yeah, maybe. 
I, I don't know what he actually liked beyond uh, Feed the Birds. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of... Um... There's a lot of jazz music in the shorts in the 40s and 50s, though. Like, a really surprising amount. Uh, not not so much in the the character shorts, but if you if you look at the Silly Symphonies, and especially uh, shirts that aren't affiliated with any particular series, there's a lot, of, a lot of jazz. There's a really good one. I may have talked about this on the shorts episode. There's a really good one called uh, Jack and Old Mac, which are just kind of jazz renditions of Old MacDonald and the house that Jack built. Or you think about that's the truth about Mother Goose. So, I mean, they're using yeah. a lot of jazz well before this movie. But again, at the time this movie comes out, jazz is passe, especially that kind of jazz. I mean, the jazz of the late 60s is fusion and free jazz and, and more countercultural stuff that, frankly, could never be assimilated. I mean, fusion maybe, but free jazz isn't going to get assimilated anytime soon, I don't think. It's too wild. It's too squawky. Yeah, that one never made it into the... So I guess not everything in the counterculture always moves into the center. <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of stuff does, right? I mean, jazz, jazz fusion's super dangerous when it comes out. By 1976, Steely Dan is playing it, you know? And Steely Dan's pretty mainstream, even though they're left of center mainstream. So I, I, I that's a good point that the, the culture at large just kind of swallows all these various countercultures. And, and the Jungle Book is a kind of version of that. But it's weird because you have two cultures, one that has been entirely assimilated and the other that's still on the fringes that they're mocking a little bit. Well, they're mocking, but they're also I don't I don't know the fact that they're on the fringe. I mean, it plays into the fact that they're vultures, too. Right. Like because vultures are on the fringe. And then, um, yeah, they do turn out to be be quite heroic and 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 actually have, you know, more. I mean, their song is, you know, the loyalty and friendship song uh which is exactly what Mowgli needs at that point he doesn't know um he hasn't you know the he hasn't felt yet the loyalty that uh Bagheera and Baloo actually have for him because Bagheera and Baloo actually do want what's best for him they're trying to protect him but he's feeling that as um disloyalty right like you guys aren't aren't letting me get what I want as a child Um, does right Right, and then he encounters the vultures, and and uh, they're on the fringe, and, and so they they actually can relate to him where he is, because they have that sense of like, oh yeah, we know what it, we know what it's like to be rejected and to not, you know, to not be part of what you want to be part of or whatever. So, um, yeah, in that way, they're they're heroic in that way too, not just in in pulling Shere Khan's whiskers and and <laughs> and lifting and lifting uh, Mowgli out of harm's reach, right? Yeah, well, so doing do, the opposite of what you would expect a vulture to do. I'm not sure vultures are sad to see animals be killed, since that's kind of how they make their livings. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which they make a couple jokes about in there, you know. Uh, things are dead all over. <laughs> you mean you wish they were. <laughs> For the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. I mean the bare necessities are Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be found of my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you 
look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. All right. Well, we should jump back into uh, into something else. You want to do you want do you want to talk about the music, or do you want to talk a little more about uh, the characters, or um, where, well, where do you want to go Let's do a little first? of both by talking about "I Want to Be Like You" and King Louie. Okay. Since he's he's essentially not on screen when he's not singing that song. I assume yeah. you love that song. Everybody loves that song, right? Everybody loves that song. This is one of my. This is definitely my children's favorite part of the movie, actually. Um, and it's not King Louie. It's uh, the little, the little white-haired monkey that follows him around and and uh, embarrasses him and <laughs> like that. Is, sings that is out the, of tune, right? He sings out of tune. That he, is their absolute a, favorite. He's a they square. Just, yeah, they love that monkey. Like they just, he's the best thing ever. <laughs> I remember loving him too, and not understanding why it was so funny that he sings in that operatic voice. <laughs> you know, he's not he's not singing jazz music or he's singing jazz music the way somebody 30 years older than the jazz musicians would sing jazz music. Yeah. Does he have but, a name? I don't think he has a name. I, I if he does, it's not. I mean, it's, he's not mentioned in the movie as a name. They, they may have had one when they're drawing him. But yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's just uh yeah, and the 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 whole thing's great. That that whole scene is is wonderful. The animation's uh, so good. They reused it for uh, Aristocats and Robin Hood. Right, but actually, I think some of it is re is actually reused from back uh, in the um, oh, what is it? The one with the mole, the mole and the water rat. Uh, Wind of the Wind of the Willows. Is that right? Do they have a dance yeah. scene in Wind of the Willows. I don't remember that. Not the dance scene. The at the end when they're running with, uh, um, they're trying to get Mowgli out of there. It, I think it's the same scene from in. Uh, Mr. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking. Mr. Toad. Yeah, it's where they're trying to get the deed Mr. Toad out of Toad Hall. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same. It's at least the same setup. If it's not the same, like actual photocopying the the animation from that one. It's it's the exact same setup of, you know, people running one direction and then running back the other direction and getting rolled and all that sort of stuff. I'd, I'd have to watch them side by side. I didn't do that in very, preparation. Very for this, silly. But... I'm sure there's a YouTube yeah. video for it. There's a YouTube video showing most of the most of the reused animation. Yeah. To me, the best part of that whole scene, and and one of the funniest things in a Disney movie, it, and and they they play it so well with the music, because because I want to be like you comes in two parts, right? There's the the part everybody remembers, and then there's a vamp at the end with all the scatting and stuff. So the first mm-hmm. the first song is kind of winding down. And this parade of monkeys is walking by Bagheera, who is pretending to be a statue. And he's reaching out to grab Bogley. And then all of a sudden, there's like a drum hit or something. And the second part of the song starts. And Baloo slams the door open, <laughs> dressed, yeah. as this, dressed as this ape. That's an amazing yeah. piece of animation and, uh, and, and really timed well with the music. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. So, yeah, on, on Baloo coming in, uh, this is from... Um, Floyd Norman is a, a animator. Who's, he's also got a blog about you know his time at Disney, and he says on there, uh, veteran writer Larry Clemens thought having animated characters in drag was a surefire gag. Every time the story team would come up with a wacky idea, Larry would always chime in and say, "What if we put him in drag? That would be hilarious." <laughs> Eventually, Larry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Eventually, Larry managed to get his way. When Baloo the bear was his wacky, I want to be like you, do it with King Louie, the orangutan. We put Baloo in a coconut bra and a grass skirt. I think we finally managed to please Larry, and perhaps he was right after all. So... <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. And it's also helped by Harris and Prima being two of the biggest hams in American history. Like they play it so big and it, it it's like the two I don't know if they recorded together or what, but it's like they're daring each other to get bigger. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. The the it's it's such a good scene. Such a great scene. And then poor Bagheera, who doesn't understand any of this, you know, like the, he's deaf to the music, essentially. He's stuck in the middle of it, just surrounded by idiots. Yeah, would you stop that silly beat business? <laughs> <laughs> if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. So good. Um, Louie, Louie's wonderful in this whole scene, too. You know, like he... Uh, he he's he's he stands on one arm and then then points to himself with you know the other arm and both of his feet. Um, he's feeding feeding Mowgli the bananas. Just it's it's all just really it's just like one one comic thing after the other. Just yeah, me uh, and my kids laugh through the whole thing through the whole scene. It's just really really good. It's it's hard to think of a better combination of music and animation than that. I mean, there's there's a lot of great stuff in the Disney catalog, but. This is this is up there with any of them. Yeah, for sure. Almost, I mean, it's almost good enough to to knock the bare necessities off of that that perch as best song in the movie. Because I think this, I mean, I going back to that, you know, like I, I still agree with you, the bare necessities is the best song in the movie. But the as far as the scenes that they take place in, I, I feel like this one is better. Yeah, well, the, and the bare necessities has some pretty great animation too. Probably yeah, which, one, which one you like better probably depends on whether you prefer Phil Harris or Louis Prima. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, and then the uh, the the great gag at the end of him trying to hold up the city and and Baloo coming to tickle him. <laughs> Baloo okay. realizing all of a sudden that he has no reason to hold up the, the ruins. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that's just really wonderful. <laughs> And then they get out of there, and they both have the the black eyes, and it's uh, yeah. This is the uh, this is the the scene from the Jungle Book that somehow made it into the Disney Christmas package film from all of us to all of you. But it's not the first half. All it is is the second half where they're scatting. That's yeah. That's that's a weird choice for Christmas, but I guess it makes sense. Like this this scene, you really need no. I mean, it stands on its own apart from the movie, you know, like it's 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 definitely an important part in the movie as far as like it 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 continues this idea of there's a reason why Shere Khan would be wanting to off Mowgli like Mowgli has the secret to, to man's red fire. You know, that's kind of a running theme uh, throughout. Um, but other than that, like it really it, it can really stand on its own. So like, it makes sense why it was repackaged. Yeah. Oh, and plus, is anybody ever going to complain about hearing the second half of I Want to Be Like You? Yeah, it's unbelievably catchy. Uh, Not yet, Baloo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to watch this movie again already. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great one. It's yeah, it's 
And it's good on every reviewing. Like I think you said before we started recording that you've seen it 800 times, and I'm sure I've seen it just as many. It's just a, it's a really, it's a really good one for good for good reason. I mean, I bet I've watched it 15 times in my 30s. In addition to watching it a million times when I was a kid, I I, I love this movie. I, I I used to say it was my favorite, but I don't I don't think it's as good as Sleeping Beauty. The animation just uh, just can't compare to it. But uh, man, it's a great movie with some great performances and great music. Yeah. We, we haven't talked about J. Pat O'Malley as the uh, Colonel Hoffy, the British imperialist elephant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's he's wonderful. He speaks a he speaks a bit of French, which I I knew you would appreciate. <laughs> what I, remind me what he says in French? Uh, it's uh I my <clears throat> my French is horrible, but it's like Boral. <laughs> it's like court what court de, I don't know how to say it. I have no idea. I don't I, I for some reason I, I just bragged about it's, how many times it, I've seen this movie and I don't remember that. No, it, I mean, he says it quickly. It's like it's right before he goes into his bit about the the. The winning the Victoria oh, yeah. Cross <laughs> right before he says that, you know, he says, I, "Yeah, I wish I could even attempt it for you. I'm sorry, I can't." But oh well. I, um, I always wonder why the rest of these elephants follow him, seeing that he's clearly an idiot who makes them do <laughs> makes them do ridiculous things all day long. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're. I mean. They're just they're just brute force, you know. Like that's their whole thing is they just march through the underbrush. <laughs> that's their whole that's their whole mission. So uh, uh, th- their best scene to me is when they're they're all gonna go look for Mowgli and they <laughs> they just go and completely destroy the jungle as they walk through. Yeah, <laughs> completely ineffective, and then we never see them again. Right. Yeah. It seems like it would be a great way to find somebody, maybe, but. Um, should, yeah, but yeah, they don't. Mowgli should just ride on one of their backs until they find Shere Khan, and then they just smash his head into the ground. Because a tiger can't take on an, on an elephant, can he? Maybe he can. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be a very uh, different ending to the movie, wouldn't it? Just seeing Shere Khan's <laughs> head squished. Yeah, that's... It's a little dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not as dark as what happens to him in the book. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, the whole the whole thing is great. Um, and then his his wife stands up to him, and you know, Mowgli's my friend. You know, it's it's, it's good. He's got a heart. Is is Winifred the only female in the movie other than the flirtatious girl at the end? Uh, and the the wolf mom. That's right. That's right. and and that's right because um, Winifred and the wolf mom do something very similar, which is the father doesn't want to help Mowgli, and the mother kind of looks at him until he does. Oh, that's right. I didn't notice that parallel, but you're you're right. And we talked. I mean, it's a cliche we've talked about before that women are civilizing, and even in the jungle, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Well, then, I mean, he even says it, you know, like he's he's uh, Bagheera is counting on the maternal instinct to to hold through. You know, that's in his narration there at the beginning. So, um, but yeah, that's the the elephants are a lot of fun. That that whole scene of him inspecting them um, is, you know, it's just it, it doesn't really move the plot forward at all. But there, like as we said, there isn't much of a plot. Like it's it's just showing off his character. So I think it plays it plays really well in the movie. I love that he's 
really nitpicky for all the elephants, and then he comes to the one who's the total mess, and he just can't even bring himself to say anything. <laughs> yeah. One who has vines uh, growing from his tusks and stuff. Yeah. Let's get some spit and polish on that. <clears throat> That's what he says, I think. And he gives the one guy the crew cut. The hair? Yeah, the crew cut. Which is good. I like how he doesn't know Mowgli is a is a human, is a man cub. <laughs> he says, "Where's your where's your trunk?" And then Mowgli, and then he and then he notices, and he's like, "This is treason! How can you have a a man cub in my in my jungle?" Yeah. Well, they all think it's their jungle, right? Yeah, because 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 really um, Baloo Baloo talks about take a oh it's take a something in my backyard. Yeah, Shere Khan acts right. like it's his jungle. I mean, King Louie has this like kingdom that he's running in the middle of the jungle. Bagheera might be the only one who doesn't think of himself as owning the jungle. Although he's happy to stick his nose in everywhere, you know, like he. Yeah, that's true. He, he, <laughs> he shows up to the wolf pack meeting. Like, what's he doing there? <laughs> well, and then he talks. Like, I thought he was just kind of spying, but then he's like, "Oh, I have an idea," and they all defer to him. Maybe he actually yeah. is the ruler of the jungle. Well, should we talk um, a little bit about? Well, we we didn't really talk about Ka. We should talk about Ka for a minute. Yeah. What do you What do you think of this character? Um. Well, he's the. So he's interesting because he's he's the the um he's kind of the stand-in bad guy because we keep hearing about Shere Khan, but there's no real threat other than Ka. You know. Uh, so he kind of he kind of plays that role, but he's so he's so charming at the same time. Not maybe not charming is the wrong word, but it, what is he? He's just pathetic. He's just fun. Well, he is pathetic. He's got problems with his sinuses. You got to give him a break for that. But <laughs> I don't know. He's really funny. He's really funny. He's played he's by nice. Scarlett Johansson in the live action movie. Oh really? Yeah. Which That's I I haven't seen. True to form. Yeah. It's the one that's supposed to be really good, but, you know, principle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I like, I like him. I don't, I, I like his song too. I think you said you don't really like the song, but I think it's, I think it's sketchy. It's fine. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's better than the Vulture song, I suppose, but, um, compared to, compared to the other ones, even the Elephant song, I, I, I don't think it's that great. Yeah, it's got a wonderful bit of, uh, you know, like as he's as he's singing it and he's, you know, he's turning himself into stairs and then he, you know, slides Mowgli down in the, the circle. And uh, it's I, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of clever things going on there. Um, 
animation wise like a lot a lot uh, you know he's got him flipped upside down and on his tail um yeah a lot of a lot of those things that only animation can do and somehow it makes it you know somewhat believable <laughs> like you go along with it no problem if he didn't um, have to play with his food before he ate it he would have eaten mowgli twice that's that's really true he's yeah that's the pathetic aspect i guess his scene with shir khan is the best yeah i love it yeah the, well, the, the, i think it's the best non-song scene in the movie yeah sure. well and it, it it's really helpful because Kaz the big villain in the first half of the movie and then Sher khan comes up and Kaz no longer a villain you know yeah because Sher khan is so powerful and so frightening yeah so i actually i want to bring in a couple quotes from a something completely non-disney related but um last year i read uh brian phillips put out a, a collection of essays uh called oh was it Something owls, impossible owls. Um, are you familiar with him, Brian Phillips? No. Oh, I really love him. Like he he writes these just ridiculous essays. Um, but he writes an essay called Man Eaters, which is about his trip to uh, the Indian jungles to try and see tigers. And <laughs> as I was reading it, like I couldn't help but think of Shere Khan. I, have no, I I I don't know if that's insulting to him or not, but. Um, I love it because it's it's so perfect for the way I feel like Shere Khan is in this movie. So um, he says the ri- uh, the arrival of a tiger, it's true, is often preceded by moments of rising tension, because a tiger's presence changes the jungle around it, and those changes are easier to detect. Bird calls darken, small deer call softly to each other. Herds do not run, but drift into shapes that suggest some emerging group consciousness of an escape route. A kind of shiver seems to run through everything. And I just, I really like, that's the feel that you get about Shere Khan in this movie, I feel like, is everybody's afraid of him. And um, like he does, he changes the whole tenor of the jungle if they know he's there. And that's the other thing is um, that he says in here, he says, you will not see a tiger that does not choose to be seen. Maybe a professional guide can spot one or one of the forest villagers who live around the reserves. For a regular human with untrained human senses, there's no chance. The way a tiger arrives is there is nothing there. Then a tiger is there. <laughs> nice. And they're so huge. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Can... But that's how, exactly how he is in this movie. Like there's a couple times where he's, he's in the bushes and they have no idea that he's there, you know, with the elephants in particular. And then, uh, like with Ka, like, um, you know, Ka comes down and he's looking around and he's like, where, you know, who, who pulled on my, on my doorbell thing. And then there, there he is, you know, and he's like, I'm Shere Khan. <laughs> and then, uh, also with the vultures, right? Like they're in the middle of their song that everybody's having a great time. And then he, you know, he busts in with that, with that excellent, you know, super low register. Baso uh, profundo. <laughs> yes. You know, but like, I mean, that's it, right? There is no tiger. And then there's a tiger. And <laughs> I thought, man, that's totally Shere Khan. It's weird, so, too, because they're bright orange. Like, But I, I know they're striped so they can hide in the grasses. It reminds yeah. me of my cat when he when we're eating dinner. He'll get up on the table and we'll tell him to get away. And he'll get real low and start moving slowly toward the plate as if we couldn't see him. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing. It's like an instinct he can't get rid of. Right. Yeah, cats are amazing. I'm so glad I have one. Actually, my cat's name is Bagheera. So is he? He must be black. Yeah, darkish. You call him Baggy. We do, or Booger. <laughs> uh, if see, if this movie had been made in the 21st century, they would call Bagheera Booger. 
<laughs> and there'd be a fart joke somewhere. Yeah, that's probably because true. since since the Lion King broke the fart joke barrier, children's movies have to have a fart joke. Oh, that's true. They did break that barrier, didn't they? Oh gosh, I really like that movie, but I don't know if I can forgive it for that. Well, we've talked mostly about the big scenes in the movie, but there's a couple quiet scenes as well. With, uh, um, you know, we just see Mowgli walking through the forest a couple times or the jungle, um, you know, kind of depressed and you know, lost. And I, I, I think it's really nice that I think the pacing in the movie is, is another thing that, that stands out, you know, like despite the, uh, the, the limited nature of the story that they, they take those times to, you know, have him walking in front of the waterfall and, um, you know, sliding down the rock and those sorts of things. I thought, I thought it was, it's really nice. There's a lot of quiet moments in the movie, uh, often tied to a song. Yeah. I mean, the movie ends on a very quiet note, him him kind of being hypnotized by this girl and dragged into civilization at last. Again, women are civilizing. Right. Yeah. Let's save that until the very end and talk about the end at the end. Okay. Um, before we get there, we should we should talk about... Um, well, there's a quiet scene between uh, Mowgli and... I'm sorry, not Mowgli. Baloo and Bagheera, um, where you know Bagheera is trying to convince Baloo to... To uh, that he has to let Mowgli go, which I think is a nice thing. They look down in the water at one point. Um, it's really interesting. Like it's it's this is where the animation really comes through for me. I think um, is you know they're just talking. That's all that they're doing. But the entire time, you know, like that they keep it interesting by you know Baloo's you know uh, eating grapes or something and then he's you know he's he's scratching again they look down into the water and you see the you know their reflections like they they do a lot of really nice things in that scene even though it's there's nothing happening it's just talking yeah i agree it's an important scene because the movie is as much about baloo growing up as it is about mowgli not staying in the jungle anymore so you, you have you have this moment where he realizes that he can't his lifestyle is not universal, I suppose, and that he has to do what's best for Mowgli. Yeah. Which is something Bagheera realizes from the beginning, right? I mean, Bagheera is the voice of responsibility in this movie, even when he doesn't want to be, even when he wants to leave uh, Mowgli alone to fend for himself because he's mad at him. He he can't he can't help but be responsible. And the, the movie is Baloo eventually learns that he has to be responsible too. Yeah, that's a really good point because the the i think that's the co-star nature of of baloo coming in right and being that through line like mowgli is growing up uh but but so is baloo so yeah i like that but i mean half the reason we care for mowgli is that baloo cares for mowgli right i mean I, right he's Mowgli's so kind of a non-character he loves him just like he's his own cub yeah He's so affectionate in that, it, like, right before this scene, you know, like, that we're talking about right now, like, you know, he wraps him up in the, in the, uh, the ferns, and, you know, he doesn't want, he doesn't want Bagheera talking too loud while he, while he's sleeping, he's had a big day, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's just super affectionate, which is funny, because in the bare necessities, and in the fight scene before that, where he's, you know, training him to fight, he's really, like, he's, Again, I, I guess it's that his lifestyle isn't universal. Like he's just beating Mowgli up the entire time, you know. Um, he doesn't have a, an awareness of their size and, and strength differences. Yeah, and you know, Mowgli wants to be a bear. That's the that's the whole idea. He wants to be anything other than a human being. 
Yeah. But he can't be. Like he couldn't. He couldn't win in a fight against uh, against Baloo or against Shere Khan or against really anybody in this jungle. Yeah. Yeah. Not without becoming a man, right? Like he needs the 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 fire and the gun. Um, yeah. And the gun, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so he does it with the fire in this one, um, which you know gets gets our great big you know end of the end of the movie. Uh, you know, climactic sort of fight scene with with uh, Baloo and and Shere Khan, and I I really like this scene too. Like, there's a there's a lot of um, big action, and it's obviously like the it's tense, but there's also like a bunch of comedy elements in it too. Like, I feel like it, it walks the line really well. As I said on Twitter, I wept when Baloo died, even though I know he was going to. <laughs> yeah, I think they they do this scene really well, especially compared to. Um, you know, Lady and the Tramp. They kind of do the same trick in Lady and the Tramp, and this one is just a hundred times better. More than a hundred times better. A million times better. Yeah. We get a quote of scripture, which is nice. Um, you know, greater greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. I wonder if that's Good. in the original. Or, I guess not, because nobody, nobody was allowed nobody to read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know Kipling's uh, religious background. Do you? I, I. I'm sure he was Anglican. You know. I, I don't know how important it was to him. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no idea. But yeah, that's a great scene because you get the. Uh, you, you, it, it draws out long enough where you're not sure. You know if he's quite dead. Um, but then as soon as Bagheera starts talking, you, you, he moves and his eyes are opening. And so you get to enjoy Bagheera's speech, like in the same way that Baloo does, right? Like you're kind of laughing about it because you, you know that he's okay. Um, but also it's, it's sweet and touching because he's, you know, Bagheera is obviously speaking from his heart. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. you You get it both ways. Yeah. It'd be a very different movie if they actually had gone through with it and killed Bolu. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be uh it's hard to imagine it. I don't know what the, I don't know what that would be like. His reasons for leaving the jungle would have to be different, I guess. I mean, cuz if if that happened, he would be leaving the jungle because he realizes the jungle is a place where anybody could die instead of yeah. leaving because he falls in love with a girl. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of nice. So like it's it is a series of growing experiences for him, right? Like he's like throughout the the movie and then I guess this one is kind of that that final experience before the, you know, he's ready to take on manhood with, you know, falling in love or whatever. Like he's experienced death, even though it's not really death, but like he gets the experience of it. So Absolutely. So the last scene, I remember, I I just hated it as a kid. Like I, I I wanted him to like he finally like is able to stay in the jungle. Like he's got rid of Shere Khan. Nothing's gonna come between him and Baloo, and and that's it. You know, like they're they're gonna be buddies. Like that, that's how I wanted the movie to end. Yeah, um. <laughs> I think I think that's how most kids want it to end. I have a story about that ending. Um, you know, they used to re-release these movies every seven years. So this was sometime in the late '80s, early '90s. I went to see it with my cousin Christy. 
<laughs> and when the little girl comes out, you know, she has the red dot on her forehead, which I think means in, in that culture that you're unmarried. But Christy didn't know that. So she she yelled out, she's got a zit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's pretty bad. <laughs> I still don't love that scene. I would still prefer he stay in the jungle. Yeah. I I like it better this time this time as I was, you know, having to think about it at a, at a deeper level just because I knew we'd be talking about it. Like all the lyrics in that scene are about, you know, joining a family and being part of, you know, being a part of the community in the sense of like um that being it's like finding your place not only in the community but kind of in history right like she's gonna like her mother used to go down to the to the water and now she has to go down to the water and eventually she's gonna have kids of her own and she's gonna send them down to the water you know to fetch the water like there's mm-hmm. this like ongoing like it's it's like come be part of the human race almost you know like uh even in some ways i mean obviously the the uh, the flirtation and um is is a necessary element in that as well um for you know the whole reproduction thing is not gonna happen without it really but like you know uh it's i think as a kid i read it only that way like i was with baloo like stay away from them they're nothing but trouble you know like like you know um the whole calvin and Hobbes get rid of slimy girls you know mindset but i think it is it is more than just like a uh uh a call for romantic sort of love, but it's actually a call into like, be who you're meant to be, you know, be the, be the person that you're like, you can't be a bear. You can't be an elephant. You can't be a, a a wolf, you know, like this is where, where real family is. And this is, this is where you can actually be yourself. Yeah. It's too bad though, that Baloo didn't roar. Cause I bet it would have sent that girl running. <laughs> That's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. I, that would that would have been a different ending. I, yeah, so there. I think he uh, hangs out with Baloo and Bagheera again in the sequel, The Jungle Book Two. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. Should we Is talk there, about I, Tailspin? So I yeah I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. It was the one part of the Disney afternoon I didn't like, so I, I have almost no opinions about it. Is it? It's Baloo, right? Uh huh. And he's Is a it... fighter pilot in yeah. the 1930s or something. It's a strange premise. And I don't I'd think Bagheera to... is in it. I think Shere Khan is. I think he's the bad guy. Maybe I don't know. I've I've probably only seen two or three episodes. I think because. I'm yeah I I know I watched it like I can remember the I think the the hero kid is named like Kit or something and he would do that sky surfing behind the plane that's what that's the thing I remember like thinking that was so cool what what uh, on earth would make them take a movie about the jungle and turn it into a movie about 1930s fighter pilots I don't know but I'll tell you what I I would um I would like that plane that was a cool plane you know it like it like all those planes that land on the water i find super super fantastic and like they lived in it too i think so i would yeah i don't remember anything about baloo's character in that show but i do remember like coveting the plane (laughs) all right 
<laughs> Phil Harris was supposed to play Baloo, but by that point, um, his voice had kind of rotted, and they fired him. And I think Alice Faye sued them for it, but I could be wrong about that. Wow. But I, I never liked that show. Yeah. I would, I would always go I mean, do my homework for half an hour between Rescue Rangers and Darkwing Duck. Right, yeah. I have much better, I have much fonder memories of, of both of those as well. But it's, the, it's the one of those that's based on a movie, I guess. All the other yeah, ones are I based guess. on the shorts, or, or in DuckTales' case, the comic books. I, and there's a Gargoyle show, too, but you and I are both way too old for the Gargoyle show. Right, yeah, later on they did more and more that way. Because, I mean, there was an Aladdin show, there's there's a Lion King show. My kids like the Rapunzel show, which I, I guess we'll probably talk about when we get to Rapunzel. Um, how they expand these universes out, but... Yeah, but the, yeah, I mean, my... Tailspin's not so much an expansion as a completely different universe. That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's kind of like Madame Mim showing up in Duckburg or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, here's the character. Let's do something with them. Yeah, I don't know. We should also say they do very little... Excuse me. They do very little with the Jungle Book in the parks, um, as they do very little with any of the Xerox-era uh movies in the parks but the jungle book is so popular you'd think they do something plus they have a whole park that's the jungle <laughs> yeah that's yeah that seems crazy to me that they don't well to be fair the animal kingdom doesn't have a whole lot of character stuff you'd, you'd mostly get that at the magic kingdom and i mean there's adventureland i i really don't understand why they don't they they uh i think they used to have a baloo and a louie that walk around and you can get your picture taken with them but they don't have any rides or um, restaurants or anything like that that I can think yeah. of. Mm. Yeah, it seems like you could do, I don't know, even with some sort of lazy river or something, go go hang out in Baloo's backyard, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If only if you could ride on a sloth bear. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. All I could think of during that scene when uh, Mowgli was laying on Baloo is he's going to get fleas. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Now you've ruined the movie for me, Michael. Not, not the, not, nothing else you said did, but that does. I do what, I do what I can. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to talk about Baloo as a Christ figure since he kind of comes back from the dead and he's, he's driven by love and those sorts of things? I, I don't know that I have a whole lot to say about it beyond noting that. Do, do you have remarks beyond that? Um, oh, I mean, I think he, de- he definitely, he's, He's the love character in the story, right? Like, uh, like Bagheera, like you said, is more a sense of responsibility. Like, I, I, I came upon this thing, this problem in the woods, and I, I felt a sense of responsibility to it. But there's not like a real love there. Whereas Baloo is definitely driven by love, puts himself in danger, sacrifices himself. There's not really more. There's not really a redemption to it beyond. Like he saves, I mean, he saves Mowgli's life, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I that hadn't whole... considered that until you said it, but yeah, um, yeah, he he's a Christ figure. I never know what to yeah. do when I find a like, or what are they trying to say with it, or is it just it's such a part of, um, it's just such a part of Western mythology that you have to have it in there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I, that's, 
that's why I decided I th- I just throw it out there. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe somebody has something they want to they've they've thought through it. So, um, yeah. All right. Do you have anything else? No, I think we've covered everything, covered everything on my notes. I think yeah, I'm, I'm just re looking at mine real quick and seeing if there's anything else in mine. All right. Um, cool. Well, Michael and I know that there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on. So thank you for choosing us. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast players dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. We're on the old interwebs with the most sporadic show notes of any podcast at beforetheywere.live. Uh, please help us continue this conversation by finding us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore alt, and Michael is at Michael Farmer. Uh, for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Altman Schofer reminding you to get with the beat. <laughs>